Backtalk is an extension of the long-running, award-winning movie review show, It's Movie Time, which airs Fridays at 4.01 and 8.01 p.m. on WCBE 90.5 FM, Columbus, Ohio. Hosted by John DeSando, this podcast version features additional content and banter with guests. I'm John DeSando. And I'm Wayne Miller. And this is Backtalk, our movie this week. A Haunting in Venice. This is another Agatha Christie. Yes, and the third one by Kenneth Branagh, directing and starring as Hercule Poirot. Yep, yep. Uh, And John, you know what kind of surprised me, and of course our listeners on the show can't see it, but... You know, the people, you know, watching the video of the thing that we're decked out in our, like, little white linen jackets yep. just because of what a fashionista Poirot <laughs> is in the movies. We're also echoing Jake's jacket in the beginning of Chinatown. Yes, that's true. Which is yes. much yeah. tighter yep. and much shinier, but it still evokes yep. the same kind of whiteness and and I always think yeah. anything white like this jacket is bogey in Casablanca. It definitely the evening uh, in several of the James Bond movies, yes. you know, the, all yes. those actors could rock yeah. a white not tuxedo dinner jacket, a white dinner jacket. Well one of the reasons I like having you as a partner on this kind of show is that you're pretty much into the whole Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot um, right. murder mysteries. I'm not as much. I certainly am a devotee of Kenneth Branagh. You know, let me ask you a meta question about this. I think this is a little bit different from the other two as I remember them. And I know you have good, perfect recall uh, for the other two. Would uh, yeah, you well, say it's true? Yes, it is. And what's interesting, of course, his first one that he directed in the stars Poirot was 2017's Murder on the Orient Express. And John, you know, it really kind of shocked me when I went back and kind of looked. It was just a year ago, it was 2022, that his other one, Death on the Nile. Right. And I think the one interesting thing about those, and they both really adhered to previous Poirot movies like Albert Finney in 1974, Murders on the Orient Express, and Peter Ustinov on Death on the Nile, and both of which were also done by the a BBC series that aired on PBS here in, um, in the United States was David Sachet's Poirot, which to me was the kind of the definitive Poirot, almost okay. kind of like Jeremy Brett's. I wondered, um, but I thought um, you were. I um, thought Jeremy Brett was the real. The one you really liked. Oh, yeah. As, as well, that Holmes. was Sherlock Holmes. Yes, yeah, it was Sherlock right. Holmes, but it was uh, David Sachet. Paul Rowe okay. in a number of several feature-length ones that uh, aired on PBS, but also more uh, for the hour-long ones, which were very, very good. And, of course, he could really rock a white dinner jacket, a linen uh, dinner jacket, too. <laughs> but Brandau, you know, uh, the other two, and you're right. I said, you know, both of those I think people would remember from previous movies, but also there was a more star-studded cast yes. in both of them. Yes. And of course, Murders on the Orient Express, which was a claustrophobic one taking place on a snowbound passenger train. And then Death on the Nile, of course, had this, a beautiful cinematography, but also the very beautiful Gal Gadot as one of the people and the equally handsome Army Hammer in both of those yep. movies, too. Yep. So. Two reasons why. One, it had more of a, a spiritual effect and spooky effect to it, yeah. too. But also a more of a laid-back 
Poirot did not have some of the usual tics and well, annoying, is annoying nothing, habits. Right. You know? Rana is nothing if not a great actor. Yes. And he's playing the retired Poirot. Yes, older and post-World right. War II, about, I think, 1947 it yes. was set. Yes, yes. Uh, whereas the other ones always took place in the 30s, you know. And the other ones seemed World War hyper II. to me. And yeah. with, as you said, with so many stars and with so many possibilities. With one of the virtues of those first two was that you could make astute guess on any one of them to be the murderer. Yes. This one, yeah. it wasn't quite as easy to do that. No, uh, because, you know, and, and a little bit more of a confusing plot line, I believe, than the other two were. You know, the other two that you could kind of follow along, even though there were twists and turns and uh, surprises along the way. But this one was kind of like to try to follow along what the heck happened. And Michelle Yao's uh, character, and she does, I think she does a great job, but it's almost... Not to give it away, but all I could say is kind of think of Janet Lee and Hitchcock's Psycho right. as far as one of the major stars in the movie. We want more of along. her. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I also, at first I think, oh boy, is uh, am I going to be annoyed and irritated by Tina Fey? But she kind of grew on me. Oh, I, I thought like she was her. a great choice. Yes. Right. She's not too glamorous. Yep. She's holding back her usual shtick. Right. So she's playing a... A writer. Right. And, yeah. uh, and a friend. And, you know, it's funny because, and there was, and you mentioned something at the end because this was based on a Christie uh, short story, right. I believe, or not right. very called Halloween with a Halloween with like an apostrophe between the two E's. Yes. You know, yes, Halloween. Yes. But I remember, vaguely remember seeing that. was That was one of the ones on PBS with uh, David Sachet. But it was a more low-key thing built on a Halloween party. We've traveled to Venice. Yes. We were disappointed when our gondolier pulled out his cell phone. Yes, and did not sing to us. <laughs> yeah. The gang of us on the gondola, you know, that. And we were, we, I was kind of expecting a little bit more, but I still really, really liked it. And I'd say if one thing that I would recommend, I was going to save this to the end, but I'll put it yeah. in now, that I would recommend this for anybody who's been to Venice or has thought about going to Venice, I really, really liked the scenery there of Venice and the canals and some of the, the monuments and various other things there that well, I yeah. really, really like. Brana caught the decaying atmosphere of yes. Venice it, with his dark lenses and with very little happening on the canals. Yes, uh, yeah. And you see some scenes of, uh, look like either some soldiers in the background, maybe on leave, so you still do get kind of the sense that it is closely after World War II. But the other thing that I'm going to throw out there, since you had asked about what uh, differences between yes. this one yes. and the other two uh, Poirot's that Brandau did, I kind of likened, uh, compared to all the other Poirot's, Brandau was a more action-filled type of character of Poirot in the first two. Not so much this time, but I remember the first two kind of reminded me of Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes and how he's a much more physical type of character than the Holmes that we came to expect. And I think Brandau did that in the first two well, movies, too. Well, consider the title, A Haunting in Venice. Yes. This means Branagh is picking off of some of the Gothic tradition. He is doing a great job with that, but it is less of an exciting 
Yeah, uh, Christy mystery. Yeah, uh, except for those who kind of, as I sat there in that one scene during the kind of the seance during the Halloween party, I'm thinking, oh, oh, is this going to be kind of like The Conjuring, you know, or Annabelle, you know, all those spooky ghost-ridden things, and especially the and Brandau really has quite a flair in his direction, especially as the camera is whipping around and and Michelle Yao's character bending out of yeah. control. I also noticed it's more close-ups than ever. Yes. And, yeah. And you know, I always wonder when a, a director makes a, that kind of a decision. Yes. Uh, what he's right. what he's aiming for. Yeah. And and of course, I kept kind of looking at Tina Fey's little scar on her uh, chin <laughs> that I think I told you later <laughs> that she, she was asked about that and declines to uh, talk about what caused this little <laughs> scar on her chin. Brenna brought in a good twist in the end. There are people who love these murder mysteries. Yep. And they love to have a little bit of a twist. I know guys like you can figure it out early, and once in a while mm. I can a bit. I'm saying I wonder if that person is the murderer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, particularly, you know, what was going on. But, but w- as with... A lot of those movies, and I always kind of likened um, Poirot to the end of uh, the Charlie Chan movies, when Chan gathers all the usual <laughs> suspects, and then he lays out, and he talks about various clues that, <laughs> where in the heck did he pull that out of? A Haunting in Venice, Kenneth Branagh, a movie that you and I enjoyed well, yep. particularly because our publicists gave us a free drink as well a, a, at a our screening. Drink. We had mass free. You can't go wrong. I'm mean, you know, uh, a little free give, giveaway mask, you know, as well as a free drink. Since there were maybe only four or five of us, Kevin with his mother. Yeah, Kevin his mother. George and, and George Hope. Hope. Yep, and there were several others. I'd say maybe we had about ten there yeah, for this yeah, press right. screening. So no more than go yeah. regularly and to I, the theater. And she kept saying, take as many of the masks as you like. You know, I was kind of hoping maybe another drink, which probably would have been dangerous. <laughs> for me, though. You know that I want to talk a little bit about Kenneth Branagh. Yes. And I'd like to, to just point out some of the of the, the actually brilliant films that he has been involved uh-huh. in. And as a director of his 1989 Henry V, yeah. it's just about the best could ever. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. battle at Agincourt yes. is just so fraught with sorrow. My favorite of his comedies in 1993 was Much Ado About Nothing. Yes. Yes, another Shakespearean one, yes. and we had mentioned that the other day when we were yes. talked about Denzel Washington and the Equalizer. Yes, he played the prince in that one. And maybe just two years ago, you're talking about what happens, and we barely know it. 2021, he almost won the Oscar for Belfast. Yes, yes, a fine uh, movie, yeah, a fine movie, <laughs> and a kind of an autobiographical movie too. But let me throw. Can I throw in, uh, one out? If there I can, you? if you allow me to throw one more, I'm just okay. trying to get mine in before okay. you start. <laughs> okay. 1994. Yep. And you, I wouldn't ordinarily think about him because I'm so much more attuned to his literate side. But this is literate. 1994, Frankenstein. Oh, my goodness, yes, that he not only directed, but also he played Baron von Bra- uh, Frankenstein. Yes, yes. And very good. And Bonham Carter or whatever played the, <laughs> good. Oh, my God, the bride that he tried very to good. bring back to life. I mean, that was the scariest little creature. And then he did a good job directing one of the icons of American acting. Robert De Niro is the monster in that. Oh, you're right. I forgot yeah. about that. But, John, let me throw out another one uh, even much earlier oh. than that one. Dead Again, mm. a movie with his wife at the time, 
Emma Thompson. Yes. And also a very funny cameo by Robin Williams in that. <laughs> and Derek Jacoby. Uh-huh. A stuttering Derek Jacoby yeah. in that. Very yes, good. Yes. I would recommend that. That you know, and that had some one thing, a kind of similarities, John, with a uh, haunting in Venice, where as he's laying out all the clues to how he solved the case, kind of the flashbacks to some of the th- the evidence he was talking about that was filmed in black and white, hmm. and we kind of talked about that recently with the movie Oppenheimer. That some of the flashbacks were in black and white, and, and in, he was in that. Yes. He played Niels Bohr. And, and in Dead Again, the flashbacks to the, the kind of previous lives, because it was almost like a story of reincarnation for both he and Emma's character, his character, Emma's character. And the flashback scenes, well, interesting enough, I think it was like 1947, around the same year as A, a Haunting in Venice. But anyhow, the flashbacks in that were also filmed in black and white. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talking him as actor, I was very pleased to see him in Dunkirk. Yes, yes. You know, just a small part. And he's a small part that he did as kind of a a Nazi or whatever in a movie we both really liked, Jojo Rabbit. (laughs) What did he do in Jojo Rabbit? He was uh, like a, a, a Nazi... Commissar, you know, something like that. But also, he does have some noteworthy cameos in a number of other movies, too. Was it a cameo in Wild Wild West? That I can't remember. The one with uh, Will Smith and Kevin Klein. 1999. Yeah, I can't. One that was in 1995. One of my favorite characters in all of Shakespeare, he played Iago in Othello. Yes. Yes. And boy, and, is he uh, made for that. Yeah, who, he was in Macbeth, that I think, in, in 2013. I just admire him so much as a filmmaker. And he's less flashy than others. Yeah. Uh, he's certainly not Roman Polanski. No. You know, he, he keeps a low profile. Yeah. He just does a, a super, like a classically trained actor who's also a director. Yeah. He Really a superb job of acting. And I think some people would probably, you know, Maybe put off that they uh, by his directorial style, style that they may believe that he's a bit too flashy. Mm-hmm. I find it rather enjoyable. Well, in you this know. one, in The Haunting in Venice, he's right. not so. He right. really is understating well, almost everything. Right. And well, I think that's effective. You said close-ups, but also camera angles, and well, as well as the overhead shots. Because yes. I remember uh, that... In the Murders on the Orient Express that I remember at the time telling our friend Audrey, you know, we were watching and I said, wow, what a great use of an overhead shot looking down on the train compartment where the mur- murder took place. I thought that was good. But John, one reason I like Branagh as Poirot is that thinking back at some of the other ones, like early as I think 1966, the alphabet murders that was based oh on my. Christie's ABC murders with Tony Randall as Paul Rowe, and there was just a bit too much humor and slapstick, which I also, it's one thing, and he does not have, he has some quirks, but it's not annoying quirks. Like, I found Peter Ustinov's portrayal of Paul Rowe in uh, the 1974 murders on the Orient Express, too many quirks, Hmm. and occasionally, now Peter Ustinov didn't, but I felt Peter Ustinov was one too old for the role and a bit too rotund 
for the role. Yes, and he's, uh, he can sound pedantic. Because I remember, oh, not that long ago, I watched one of the ones, because he did a, a couple that were enjoyable with all-star casts like Evil Under the Sun, and he also did Death on the Nile. But, you know, the one thing that's interesting, and we've seen it not quite as much here in Haunting in Venice, really starting with Finney's 1974 Murders on the Orient Express, and then the Peter Ustinoff uh, one, an all-star cast, mm-hmm. a big all-star cast like Murders on the Orient Express. My God, you know that you had Ingrid Bergman, you had who won a supporting role uh, Academy Award for that oh, one. Oh. Lauren Bacall, number of uh, Sean Connery, Jacqueline Bisset, Martin Balsam, really Vanessa Redgrave. Michael York, a really kind of interesting one. Well, then you're making a point that that's uh, really I find important. There is a difference between one that's larded with stars, yes, and one that isn't. This one that we're talking about, A Haunting in Venice, is right. not larded with stars. Exactly, not like the first two ones that no, Brand out right. did. I'm, I'm seeing a difference. That's a major difference. Well, and it could be, and it could be kind of like. Maybe wrong because here's that's a very interesting point because one thing I think the acting was quite good in this, and sometimes in some of these movies that are just overloaded with stars, they almost uh, a bit campy in their portrayals, and I think maybe I didn't find that quite as much in. The first two Brandel's Paul Rowe movies, you know, I thought the acting was good in that, but here, I think it was. Uh, the acting was good, and we weren't distracted by the star and quality. That's gra- and that's a great verb. You're yep. right, distracting. Exactly. And this one, we could concentrate on what's happening. Right. He's not transparent yes. about it. He's, he's making you work every bit of the way, and I think there are very few people who would have guessed who the murderer is. Right, right. Uh, he has been very playing yep. it very close, but then, after all, we talked about He's, his Poirot is retired. Yes. You know, and, he, and he did not. And it's funny, <laughs> one of the early scenes, he's leaving his apartment there in Venice. And all these people are chasing after him. And this one guy in particular, the movie ends with Poirot finally inviting this guy in to listen to his problem. You know, yes. It's kind of like he's all these people are bugging him to help solve cases. And he really just wants to be in retirement. And he's only pulled into this thing by a Tina Fey who had one of the best lines in the movie. You know, because she wanted to go to this Halloween party that was going to have a seance that Michelle Yao was going to be the, you know, do, would be doing. And she said, I could always uh, point out a fake because I'm the smartest person I know. Yeah. So I thought, if I can't point out this fake, I'll go to the second smartest person <laughs> I know, you, Poirot. And, uh, which I thought was a great line. And he had mischievous, he wasn't offended, he had a mischievous grin. So I think that added to it, uh, the close friendship. Well, consider that this is one of the first times where he actually faces the occult. Yes. He's facing the seance, and there's a moment or two in there where you say, because he has some visions, and you yep. can't tell if he's really seeing a ghost or not. Yes, exactly. And, and this is different for Perot because he's so rooted in reality. Right. And you get kind of a sense, too, that there's a backstory in his earlier life. Well, there that, was, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we won't give it away, you know, because, but they really don't make a lot of it in this one, but it kind of informs the viewer, though, of why, you know, that he's a, a bit distraught with this whole spiritualism of this whole thing that's <laughs> it is going interesting. on. And there are moments when you wonder, 
does he maybe believe in this occult or not? Yeah. And so that adds another dimension to the film. Right. That he works very well with. So I think if you want to have an interesting evening yep. at the movies with a couple other people, and sometimes it can be just like your own private screening. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, as we find sometimes, but I recommend to anybody who likes murder, mystery, that. There's going to be solving to be done. That's what uh, I mentioned earlier about the Charlie Chan movies. He pulls everybody in. There is a murderer in this room, and I'm going to expose the murderer. And so that's uh, always, always perks my interest. I'll tell you how good A Haunting in Venice is. I didn't even get close to finishing my Long Island iced tea. I know, but I, uh, you know me. I sucked down my uh, gin and tonic. Uh, after all, it was free. <laughs>